Ghost of Tsushima gets a release date. And we get a Last of Us TV show. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me as always, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys episode 153. 153. Uh, long story short, we're a PlayStation Podcast, talk about everything. Uh, the one thing I think we've been missing in our, we've, we've gotten um, props on the quicker intro, by the way, so thank you all for your feedback and that we've, I think we've got that down, uh, is even at the end, I think we're skipping on Discord. Not that it matters that much, but it's just something I, I realized. Yeah. So anyway, uh, if yeah, you've never heard of us, that's, you know, we're a place podcast. We'll give you a little bit more of a sink in at the end of the show, but start this thing off the right way. And I'm going to ask Saul a very different question because I don't think he's played much of anything this week. I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, Legacy of Duelist Link Evolution. So hit me up, Richard. So I guess I should ask is when did you start playing Greedfall? Have you not played again since? Like when did I first start it? Yeah. Like Sunday of last week, I think. After we recorded? I think so. That sounds right because I remember you saying that you wanted to start it and you had it downloaded. Yeah. So, okay. Well, there we go. Maybe two weeks ago. Saul has played two games. Yeah, like I, I played like another 20 minutes of Greedfall. And then I bought uh, Legacy of Duelists Link Evolution on the Switch uh, on Thursday. And I've played probably about three to four hours of that. I've had a really busy weekend. My brother-in-law is in town. So we pretty much hung out with him Friday night and some yesterday. Uh, So, yeah, like I haven't had any chance to play a lot of stuff this week. Um, And it wasn't until Thursday that I got Link Evolution. So I could play. I played what I could of that yesterday uh and thursday night but if i remember correctly that uh link evolution is on i think it's ps4 switch and xbox yeah i was about to say i think it's on a little bit of everything so yeah just <clears throat> a Yu-Gi-Oh game that's a handheld like a, a Yu-Gi-Oh style game like that for me just uh, if it's handheld it's perfectly it takes me back to like sacred cards and the dueling world champions and stuff like that yeah i think you know the weird thing about the Yu-Gi-Oh games coming is that i They've been actually blowing up on consoles since like the end of the PS3. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one big one that came into PS3, and then they had one that came early PS4. So they've been doing well. But when I think about the actual card-based, 100% trying to somewhat emulate the real game, I always think of the handhelds. And I guess that's just a nostalgia thing. Yeah, I think I think a majority of the greatest of all Yu-Gi-Oh games were Game Boy Advance games. Like, well, okay, I say that, but again, yeah, like, like you're talking about games that were more trying to mimic the actual card game because one of my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh games is actually on PS2 Dungeon and, Dice Monsters well it's actually a Duelist of the Roses oh which is like the somewhat the chessy turn based strategy ta- you know what I mean that it's was like the game a, you got the three magnets in right you got the the three magnet warriors I think so but it was the one where everything was like set in the past so even Joey was in the game but it was like an old Egyptian version of Joey and Kaiba and everybody. And that was it was grid based, right? Square based. Yeah, it was yeah. it was kinda like playing a tactics game where you'd move across a board and you could come on top of somebody in defense position. Like a lot of the rules are still in the game and I love that they did the thing of like, hey, we're gonna do something way different, but we're gonna try and make sure that we have something that parallels and taps into the actual mechanics of the game, but we're gonna give them a twist. Hmm. So it's like it's and it's been so long since I played it now, but defense position was actually a thing where if someone landed on you it would kind of like You'd go in a. That's normally how you do battle. Like I don't know if you ever played the game. I guess you, I, do you remember it at all? I, I, ba- I vaguely. remember I do it. think you're right in that it came with the the alpha, beta, and gamma. Yeah, I, I Seth had it, not or Big Seth had it. So I, I played it over there once or twice, but it really 
didn't catch my attention that much. I need to. I, I found my copy, and I had two of them. That's I forgot weird. about that. Uh, I, they're both very scratched up. But you know what? Just for my own sake, I think I'm going to try and slap them in my PS3 and see if it'll read them, just so I can play it. Um, but it, it has been so long. I played a very, very light bit of it when we first moved into the house out in the country. So that's been ten years ago. Goodness. And before that, I had played it in 2007. Yeah. So it's a game I've only played once, and as much as I loved it and have fond memories of it, it's kind of hazy. Yeah. That's you know? how like the actual Dungeon Dice Monsters game is for me. I yeah. had the actual board game of that, and it was really cool. The actual Dungeon Dice Monsters game that was like a tie-in side, not card game, was really cool. Like the actual one that you could play that was based game? around the show. No, it was like an actual thing that you'd go out and buy the dice. And that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah the board game. Yeah, yeah. Like I, it I, even I, came I, like, I guess I wouldn't call it a board game, but you're probably right. That's really the closest thing to what it is. Yeah, like it had tiles that you can then make out to other things and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and and it had really cool dice and it had like Gear Freed and I think it had Blackluster Soldier or no, it had Gear Freed and Buster Blader. Yeah, isn't it weird? And a couple of others. That at one point in time, people thought that gaming was going to be like a, a quick flash and the bang flat, like fad. The main reason I say that is gaming is just like a digital version that does a lot of the math for you of the board games you've, that people have been playing forever and still enjoy. So why would you think that the that this version of it would be a fad? Yeah, that's I don't know. It's dumb. Mm. But what have you been playing? Uh. I played a little bit more Darksiders Genesis, uh, and I am right at the end of it. I didn't get to play much more than that. Um, we'll get into it in a little bit in terms of in earnest, but I did play the Final Fantasy VII demo. Yeah, we'll get, yeah. That's, I, technically, that, I that played deserves that. more attention than yeah. a quick discussion. I played a little bit of that, so we'll talk about that later in the show. Um, I think I, I think I beat it twice. Oh, or no, I'll, I beat it. I beat it once, and then I got like towards the end. I'm like, I don't know why I'm playing this again. Yeah, I there was a couple of people in the Discord that said they had played it like six or so times. Yeah. And I guess I could see that if you're just really hyped on it. And I am really hyped on I, it. I do remember I played it again now, but we'll get into that later. Okay. But either way, that was that was cool. So we'll talk about that in earnest uh, a little bit later in the show. Uh, but I beat Fable. And I decided, you know what? While I'm on the Fable train, because it's kind of how my mind works, like when I did the Uncharted trilogy, all three of the games back to back, I was like, I'm going to try that with Fable. So I can, because I've never done Fable to Fable Two right after each other. Me neither. So seeing seeing the stark differences between the two is a much more noticeable when you do this this way. So for me, what I'm aiming to do is play Fable Two, which I have started and I've gotten a little further in it. Um, and I also want to admit that based off a conversation we were saying the other day, I am slightly wrong, and I forgot that once you get further, you get these abilities. You can still free aim in Fable 2, as I complained that you couldn't the other day, but you have to acquire it as a skill now. Oh, okay. Which I still think is kind of dumb, yeah. but at least I can't say that the game doesn't have it at all. Mm-hmm. So, fair enough. I just want <laughs> to clear that up. But yeah, I started Fable 2, um, and just to, one of the quick things I'll go back to that I didn't say the other day, you know, I was talking with Saul the other day at work about um, how Fable 2 almost cleans up too many of the rough edges that fable had that the original fable it, it granted it some charm like you know some of the rough edges were charming and gave it their own style and in trying to make it more broad appeal and like a big step up from the first one and seem like a big budget game they kind of smoothed a lot of that over one of the things they did which i understand from a time uh, period standpoint they moved the world forward into like a colonial time period mm-hmm. um was the removal of armor 
But the problem that comes along with that, as I was playing this morning and still going through, there is one armor set in that game. Yes, and it was only for people who pre-ordered it or something crazy. Uh, or I think you had to go to Fable2.com and play a mini game that let you open a chest in the guild cave. No, I think I think it just takes someone to get. I don't remember doing either. Of those. No, no, I was looking it up. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the answer was, but you not everybody can get it, and like actually now you can't get it. I don't remember doing either one of those. I remember having it. <laughs> Maybe I once played a mini game that I just completely forgot about. I don't know. It was a really simple mini game, but the Fable Two website's been closed since 2010, which is ironic. That's two years after the game released. Okay. Uh, okay. There might be another set of armor in the game then. There has to be because I played it after 2010 again, and I had that armor set. I don't know, I, and I definitely didn't pre-order that. <laughs> I don't know, but regardless, I'm uh, curious. Fable Two, which actually leads to me to one point, so. The removal of armor because guns are introduced in, in terms of real world, you know, as we moved along, we stopped using armor as we got guns because it became pointless. Uh, I guess what I would have preferred is that they still had gear. It doesn't have to be armor that's metal, but because of the fact that there is no gear in the game besides your weapon and your, your, your melee weapon and your ranged weapon... Um, it makes treasure in that game a lot more monotonous and stupid. And the main reason I'm talking about that is like, you know, it smooths around exploration because you have no reason to really explore without, because like, you know, your dog sniffs out the treasure chests, So you don't even have to go actually walk around your own and look for treasure, treasure chests anymore. Your dog will just start barking, barking and be like, hey, here you go. The first game had it to where you could dig anywhere you wanted to. And if you were paying attention to your bottom left, the HUD would tell you if there was something that you could dig right there. Uh, like if there was, it, it would automatically pop up and say dig instead of you having to go and manually do it. And so you'd be like, oh, yeah. there's something right here. But now your dog runs around and barks and says, hey, here's a digging spot. Now, some cool mechanics come into that, like the ability to uh, train your dog with books to make him a better treasure hunter so that he can sniff out better gear and a uh, better treasure. But nine times out of ten, I found in this game that the dug up treasure is more valuable and more useful than the stuff you get out of the actual treasure chests. And that's kind of bumming me out because it makes me not really want to care about the exploration aside of, hey, you know, here's this chest. What kind of gear may it have in it of whatever use? Even things like the way that they handled potions. Again, they're in this game, but the way everything is just lesser. Uh, and that kind of bothers me. So either way, we're going to see. I'm going to continue to scroll on into Fable 3 and uh, as, as a game that I very, very lightly touched. Uh, I never even beat it. You, you can't get armor. It's just in the DLC. It's just one set of armor. That's the set of armor I was thinking about. Okay. So I, I'm that assuming that I had like the... Um, I don't know if the DLC is included in the Games Pass version. I don't either. Is it? Is it? Is it just Fable 2? Is it Fable 2 Anniversary Edition or anything like that? Just is Fable it, 2. See, then you, it Fable really 2 not, didn't perform very well, so it didn't get all this extra, you know, like the lost chapters. Yeah. It didn't get something like that. And it might be unattainable, unattainable now, because I doubt you could still on the, the DLC for that game. I don't know. That's a good question. We'll figure that out. So, yeah, I know I'm talking about an Xbox game, but I got to give Microsoft their credit still of this is the one series that they've had that has continuously been of interest to me. So, I don't mind giving it some, uh, some of my time and some of my energy and I, I kind of like to do this little analysis. So, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the, once we start up the game club thing, uh, which we're still talking about behind the scenes of how we want to do, uh, is do we want to include Xbox games and Nintendo games and PC games or whatever, um, in that list. So continue to send us your thoughts and ideas on that. But I think now it's a good time to go ahead and move into, oh, I bought Dreams. I haven't played it, but I did buy it, uh, and I haven't had a chance to get into it. 
So I got I'm cur- excited. I got curious with that, and I went to YouTube and I typed in like uh, top games and dreams. Mm-hmm. N- none of them look good. <laughs> like I know well, it depends. It's, a I lot know, of them are still in experimental stage. Yeah, like I know it's going to take a long time. Uh, but it, that that I was considering buying it to go see what they had in the game and what people have made. And there's a lot of them that that they just they like it. It's it's all using the same engine for everything I can I can tell, or it just all looks the same because they all look very similar in nature uh, in terms of visually. Well, I mean, they're all using the same engine, which is Dreams. Yeah, and but I'll give credit on I've seen because I follow a lot of it. I have seen things that look drastically different. Well, I've seen tons of concept art and stuff and, and, and snippets people have done, but not implemented into anything. Um, like there's a guy who's using Destiny as, a, as his inspiration, I'm pretty sure, and I forgot what it's... I think it's called Guardian. And um, he, the stuff he's making looks really cool, but I don't think he's... If he's if he's making a game, I I'm not sure. But I know he's making character models for that. But there is one cool game that is a Crash game. Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I was really just looking to see what there would be. Cause I don't have any real inspiration to make a game. So see that comes into a big talk about what the differences between getting that game are. And it's a challenge that the game is going to have to deal with. And that comes into, do you, are are you interested in buying it to see what other people have made, which is in various stages of completion, or are you buying it so that you can piddle around and seeing what you can make? I have at least I have some interest in getting in and seeing what I'd be able to make in a quick time period, so that I can further see if I want to, like you know, go further with that. And I also have a lot of interest in looking at what other people are doing and looking down the road. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, there is a story campaign, but I don't think that's the thing that people are looking at as the primary pull of the game. And it's not even like the primary marketing thing for the game the game is clearly aimed at hey look at all these crazy things that people can make but yeah i just want to say that look at that real quickly and that's in pretty early alpha that looks pretty close if you follow us on twitter i've retweeted it it's a uh, somebody who's made a dead space thing uh and this is really early stages of showing a little progress just, of things they're doing it looks like it's it's well made but it just looks goofy well, yeah, it's like not everything's textured exactly, but if you look, there's a lot of things showing in this particular thing. And again, if you want to check it out, uh, they've actually managed to make a pathing so that the creature follows you and they can damage you. And you can see the built-in, you know, Dead Space's big calling card was the idea of a built-in HUD so that everything is a HUD that's within the game's world instead of a HUD that exists on top of the game's world. Yeah. Uh, and that is working here. You actually see his health on it's his spine yellow. and you see it every, with every hit, it goes down more and more. Uh, so I like that people are willing to do something so interesting and actually on this he mentions that he doesn't want this to be a flat-out remake he's actually going to make essentially a side game of his own and he's just using you know of course the existing game is kind of a starting point so dreams is an interesting one and i'm gonna definitely get some time into it hopefully by the time that we get together next week i've had some time to at least piddle and see how complicated it is to get started it seems like it's easy to get started it's just a lot of uh tutorials they're not hard to understand. It just takes some time. So we'll hmm. see what that ends up becoming. Um, and I hope to have some cool stuff to show soon. Uh, I should have stayed on Twitter. But we're going to go ahead and move into the community's take, which, of course, is our section where at the end of every episode, we ask you guys a question. <clears throat> and last week's community take was, with Horizon Zero Dawn still being leaked in ways that suggest it's coming to PC, how do you feel about the potential of Sony game putting their games on PC years after they've launched on PlayStation? Are you uh, for or against it? Why? 
uh, kind of something we've talked about before uh, about should games be timed exclusives or is there any kind of major hiccups going from PC to PS4 and from PS4 to PC and vice versa, very similar to the Xbox model of Games Pass and just kind of the way they work with their exclusives now. Um, so we wanted to get some insight on you guys uh, on how you felt about all of this and over on Discord, Atlas Unchained said, the more people that like a game, the more likely there will be content, DLC, or whole new games. Plus, if you love a game, you think you would want to want more people to share it in the experience. I can't speak business-wise, but as a regular dude, I'd love for more people to enjoy a game like Horizon. And I agree with that. One of the things I love of what he says here is I think that this is the primary thing, and it kind of goes back to the idea of like uh, what we talked about with Kickstarter. Uh, of if you really want something, it just gives it, it, it creates an avenue for it to be able to happen regardless of what other people want to do. Yeah. Uh, this is a little different, but it's in a similar vein of uh, I'll use the Order 1886 as a good example, right? Mm hmm. I love the game, but it didn't necessarily, I mean, actually, it performed well, definitely for when it released in the PlayStation's life cycle. But it didn't perform so well that it could completely negate the review scores. Yeah. Like, even though it performed well enough to, I, I would be willing to bet they've made money on it, but they didn't make enough money to go, well, review scores be damned, we're going to move forward anyway. Uh, and a game that I think is a little closer to that, though the review scores weren't as drastically different, is like Days Gone, right? You see Days Gone come out, and even though the reviews are kind of all over the place because of the state the game was in when they sent out the review codes, clearly the game sold incredibly well, and mm -hmm. they've already talked about the fact that they're moving towards letting them go ahead and create another one. So it goes to show, show you that regardless of review scores, if you have enough people that really love something, they're going to make more of it because if you love it enough that you're buying it, they've realized there's money to be made there and that they can fix some of those mistakes that were at launch, some of which they've already done just through updates. But a game like uh, The Order 1886 that didn't have any problems you know, besides just the fact that it didn't have any problems that would necessarily be updatable. You know what I mean? It wasn't like bugs or anything. It was just whether or not you struck with what the game was trying to do. If they move that game to PC, it may open it to a new audience that could sell even more. And then they can look and say, well, you know what? Overall, now we've sold 4 million copies of the order 1886. Maybe it's worth it to go ahead and make a new one and revisit it. And people who liked it on PC may buy, which is a, something that comes up later in, uh, in another answer, but may buy a PlayStation excuse me, a PlayStation 5 to be able to play it at launch. Yeah. Some people don't like waiting and some people do. And, and those that don't like waiting and they have the money, they'll spend the money then to play it then. But um, I think the bigger point here that I do really want to focus on is the fact that it gives games a chance to end up having more made. Because he says in here, it's, it, you know, it would keep, let's see, make it viable platform for games you can only play there. Let's see. He, I don't know why. I can't see. Anyway, he talks about the fact that Oh, if you lead it, it would release further games down the timeline. So, yeah, it comes back to the idea of more people means that you may have a bigger group of people that are begging and asking for more and, and a better market to release a sequel in. Um, over on Facebook, Mr. Danny Candyman Villobos, which is another of our patrons, uh, so was Atlas Unchained, he says, I'm totally fine with it. Being months slash years later works out since they would have probably already hit the largest bulk of sales for the game already, and this would be a way for it to get more numbers up. Just like with the first Neo, they got ported over when they made the complete edition, and average sales were probably in the no low numbers by then. Which is an interesting thing because it's not a first-party Sony game, but it was a third-party exclusive that Sony either went into agreeing that it would come to PC later or that Sony gave them the okay to bring to PC just because Sony may have looked at it and said, 
hey, Neo did well enough that we want to make a Neo 2. Yeah. If you get it on PC and then you come out with Neo 2 later on PlayStation again, Neo 2 right now is exclusive on PS4 for at least probably a year. Yeah. Uh, then you have people that might be buying a PlayStation 4 right now just so they can play Neo 2 at day at launch. Absolutely. So. Uh, William Blade said, I'm for it. I want more people to experience the games I enjoyed. Hell, I would rebuy Bloodborne if they did a proper PC port of it. Which goes to say another kind of thing are games that haven't been updated in a while that still have issues with frame rate and frame pacing and stuff like that general performance issues when it gets ported to pc some of those issues could be gone and that can allow for a nice set of people who have never played the game before and who want to play the game to be able to pick it up and not have those issues uh day one so they're not buying a broken game so another one of our patrons we got good patrons thank we you do guys. uh let's see over on facebook another one of them comes from mr josh Ayers, he says, as long as it's not day and date making your console purchase or exclusivity irrelevant, uh, I also don't think it will be all first-party games. I don't see Last of Us going to PC. Uh, and that is a... It's hard to say because Horizon was a huge success, 10 million. It's very comparable to The Last of Us. So if they would move it to PC eventually... Yeah, The Last of Us could make it too. Could make it. Not yeah, that well, they will, yeah. but it seems feasible that it could. But I also don't agree with... I don't think exclusives make your console purchase uh, irrelevant. I think what he... I mean, I get some of what he says. I don't think it makes it totally irrelevant, but I think it definitely impacts whether or not... It impacts when you should buy a console, almost. You, get what I'm, like, you know what I mean? Not really. And, uh, uh, to try and make time on that... Like, the best way I can kind of explain explain it is... Going back to the idea of exclusivity, right? Right now, uh, when they first showed it, we were both like, okay, we're probably going to buy the Xbox Series X at launch, yeah. right? Now that Microsoft, a little bit later, came out and said, well, the Series X won't have any true exclusives for the first year, potentially longer, right. and that they'll still work on One X. Now my thought of whether or not I need to buy the Xbox Series X becomes a, well, why would I buy it day one? It's, it, it makes me wanting to buy it day one suddenly irrelevant for me because now I'm just going, well, my one X is still mostly 4k. It'll probably look really pretty good but the way and I should be able to play everything. And I may just be misunderstanding the way he's saying it, but it makes it sound like the console he currently owns would become irrelevant because of a game would not being exclusive. Again, I think it would be that you purchased it thinking that something you purchased it earlier thinking that this will be the only place I could play that. And that's based around, I think, and I mean, and that is partially just opinion of what you think about that. Yeah. But I think the other part of it is, that's history. You've always that's what you've always known, and you've always come to expect that. Definitely from Sony, who's not currently done the Microsoft thing of making you expect. Like it's now. I wasn't surprised when they said that the when they came back with their forward compatibility thing. I was actually questioning on, on Microsoft side when they first started talking about it. It it sounded like they were originally talking about true exclusives for the Series X, which history of console gaming as a whole. I was like, well, that's in line. But I thought it was odd that they weren't doing their forward compatibility thing they had talked about. But then when they said that, it was like, oh, it's interesting, but I'm not surprised that they're not going to have any exclusives because it fits with the history of what Microsoft has done the majority of this generation. Yeah. So in a way, I could see it. If you put this specifically towards the lens of Sony, it could make, feel, it, could make it feel like the history you've expected from Sony of buying a console and knowing that you're going to play games on that, that you could only play on that. If they go day and date with PC, it does suddenly become a little bit like, well, well why did I buy the console? It only comes irrelevant if you have a PC. Yeah, or a PC capable of playing the game. Which, yeah, yeah. kind of, I don't think anybody that we, we talk to daily on our Discord have. 
Um, I don't think Josh. Do you have a PC that can game? I don't think he does. I don't know. So like, I, that's 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 what confuses me the most. Because if he does, then I understand that. Because it'd be like somebody saying somebody having a beat up gaming PC and and saying Death Stranding looks cool. I'm gonna buy a PS4 to play that. And then they do. Then it got announced to come to PC. That would make the console irrelevant for them. Yeah. But true. I don't understand how something coming to PC would make a console relevant. If because he's a he's a trophy hunter. So like I don't understand. Like that's what confuses me. Knowing Josh. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. Because if you go well, that's assuming that going to PC does not mean that Sony does some form of some form of a PlayStation app for PC that lets you play games on PC and still get trophies. Which would be cool. Yeah, who knows? I'll say this for the app thing of if Sony's games start coming to PC, I personally think the best way to try and get some of those people to transfer over to a PlayStation in the future, if that's going to be their business model behind this, right, is to make a PlayStation app that lets people go ahead and communicate and start making friends on PSN from the PC. Yeah. Do party chats from the cross PC. Cross console or make, cross tr- Make party trophies chats. from the PC and then all your purchases tie into your PSN account so that one day, if you go, you know what? Horizon Zero Dawn 2, I loved on PC and now it's coming to PlayStation 5. I'm just going to go ahead and buy a PlayStation 5. I'll already have Horizon. I'll already have friends to play with that I know. I'll yeah. already have an account. It makes the transition a lot easier. And I think that's part of what Microsoft probably is doing. Well, you know what's funny? Everybody criticizes Microsoft for saying, um, you know, timed exclusive and all their things. And they're like, oh, that's so dumb. Now it actually makes sense, right? If Sony, if Sony was re- releasing a game, wouldn't it be ethical for them to say, like, we have plans supporting this to PC later, so this is a timed exclusive? Yeah, and I think most games have gotten there. I mean, yeah. we knew that Death Stranding was coming to PC before it ever released on PS4. Yeah. So I do think that they've been, you know, ethically sound on that. And then it just still comes down to, I, you know, some people argue the ethics of it coming to PlayStation 4 first when you already knew it was coming to PC. Like, some people think that exclusives are unethical, which I don't think that, that makes no sense to I don't me. think exclusives are unethical themselves because that is a business perspective. But I also think that everybody should be able to play every game. But you got to have the adult mindset of knowing that's not going to well, always be the case. Well, and someone has to fund the game, right? Yeah. So if the person funding the game has skin in the game and a console, why would they not try and make it something that would benefit the purchase of their console so yeah, like, that it becomes a loop business? That's my biggest thing when people say, well, all games should be playable on, on all devices. I'm like, that's like a utopia idea for gaming, but that completely subverts the, the fact that someone has to fund these games. Yeah, it's And a that's very, why third-party publishers exist because yeah. they have the... They because they don't have skin in the game in the console thing. The thing that makes the most sense for them is to put the game on as many platforms as possible. Yeah, and it's a very uh, unrealistic idea to to like like I want people to play games like all across. Like somebody, every, everybody deserves to play Bloodborne, but everybody can't afford a PS4. Um, it's very you know outlandish for me to say like it should be on every console or every available to everybody because that's just not how things work. Like you, you can't say everybody who has an iPhone deserves an Apple Watch or something. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, there is I don't see a problem at all for a game being a year, year and a half old uh, exclusive going to PC then. Yeah. See, I that to me that's the cake and that's uh, that's having your cake and eating it too kind of idea. Yeah. Of, of it, it's you're double dipping in business because Sony as the funder gets to say we made this thing and we put it out for at least a year, maybe two, maybe three because Horizons three if it comes to PC, you know, what if that becomes the thing? Every after a game has been on, if it's performed pretty well after it's been on PlayStation for three years, we'll bring it to PC. Um, 
if that becomes the thing, Sony's already gotten most of the use that they were needing out of it in terms of the funding. They've already benefited from the people who would buy their console to play the game. Uh, and then they get to double dip and say, well, now everybody else gets a chance to play or at least a larger section of people get a chance to play it and we still make more money. Yeah. So it becomes a, you know, it's, it's like, it's justifiable. I do think it'd be weird for someone like Sony who has skin in the game to immediately say day and date we're going to release our game on PlayStation and PC because unlike Microsoft they don't make money off of the PC gaming in the same sense as Microsoft does. They would have to they would have to make a new uh, platform on PC to be able to do so. Like essentially they'd have to make their own operating system for it to be as beneficial, which would not be sensible. I wouldn't go as far as say operating system, but I'd say like storefront. Yeah, and the, and why would what would be their motivation if they have a console that they can do all that through? It, that's essentially what I mean is the motivations don't add up for someone like Sony or in this case Nintendo. The only one that it makes sense to go day and date on an opposing platform, even though it's not technically an opposing but just a different platform, is Microsoft. Is Microsoft of, because Windows. of the fact that they own yeah. Windows and that they have a service that they're trying to build like Games Pass. Sony's not going that route, so going day and date with these things on PC would only serve to really hamper their console business. Yeah, and so Nintendo, I would. Expect the same thing i would even if nintendo eventually said we're gonna put mario odyssey on pc starting 2021 they have no reason to put mario odyssey 2 let's say that that's a thing on pc day and date because it's like well we don't own we don't have we have no skin of the game on pc why would we do that why would we cannibalize our own business and i think a a a strong uh not a strong but a large amount of people would say like well i don't think that it should be on pc because people will just wait to get it on pc and not buy a playstation people will also wait to get it on PlayStation two years later when it's $30 and half the price. Like it's, it's it's like the people who want it day one on PlayStation will always be the ones to get it day one. People aren't waiting on Xbox to get Final Fantasy seven who are massive fans of Final Fantasy seven. They're buying a PlayStation four, even if it's a slim to play Final Fantasy seven as early as they can. Um, They may even get it again on Xbox after it's been a while to play it there. I've done that with games, but I don't think that it's, you know, I don't think it hurts business companies anything like that nor do i care because i'm a consumer that you launch a game a year and a half two years later on pc i don't yeah. think there's a problem with it yeah you can see why it's feasible both directions i'm gonna do one or two more real quick over on discord mr el chabib longtime listener and longtime friend of the show hope you're doing well man he says i'm in the middle of this on the one hand i'd want playstation exclusives to remain on the console this would keep playstation as a viable platform for games that you can only play there on the other hand it's important to diversify your access even if that means releasing games further down the timeline it's a difficult question to answer and only time will tell if playstation sees that horizon had a revival in terms of I would expect them to keep pushing this for more games down the line and maybe even releasing older games on PC. And I think that that's probably the most level-headed answer that's close to what we've been saying this whole time. Yeah. Um, And I mean, everybody's answer, I understand where they're coming from, but I really think he tried looking at both both sides of the coin on this. And if nothing else, I think the other people did. He just worded it very well. And I don't think, to be honest, I don't think there's an exclusive that's a year and a half or older that is current that would be not viable to make a PC port that would just cost them money to do so like, or make them lose, lose money. I don't think exclusives don't last that long anymore in terms of, uh, in terms of long lasting sales. Um, The one I could, I could still see, and this is mainly just because there's a sequel coming out would be the last of us. There is a sequel coming out. So people want to play that for the first time. There is now what we'll get into the news here in a minute. There is an HBO series coming out. So people want to check it out if they were like watching TV shows. So, that would be the one, but like, say if Uncharted One went to PC, 
Sony's not losing a dime over that. They're, if anything, they're making money for people buying it on a PC. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very viable thing that I think, in my mind, would not hurt the platform at all in terms of a console. You launch the Uncharted collection on PC for forty bucks or fifty bucks, whatever it launched on PS4 as, because you would treat this as a new console. You would treat this as somebody who's never played this game before. So you'd naturally not put it full full price of sixty, but you would put it at a reasonable 40 to 50 dollars or something like that you put i'd say the horizon collection or whatever the the game of the year 40 to 50 dollars on pc yeah um and then yeah the amount of people who did not get to play that who did not have a ps4 they're, they're not super fans they're not going to be ones that are that would have bought a ps4 like that final fantasy 7 uh fan i was talking about these are going to be people who are like i've always had my eye on that and i never had ps4 i'm gonna buy that now that i can and play it on pc because you're not going to, I've said it before, you're not going to cha- make somebody change a platform over something like that. Yeah. It's, especially Though, something like PC that you're already. Now, change platform is a, a very interesting word. I, I definitely agree with that. But you already said, it, and Kiki actually mentions in here, one of our other patrons and longtime listeners, he says something that goes into that, which is it's not about making you change platform so much as at least it's getting you to occasionally tap into the other platform. Yeah. And that's, that's what, what I should have said. He says right here. He says, I think they should be timed exclusives, then release on PC. Rise of the Tomb Raider being a timed exclusive for Xbox made me get an Xbox so I could play it. Yep. So he's the exact kind of people that we're talking about. Yeah, it's it's somebody who... like, and Someone again, who has the ability to double dip in that way. It's yeah. Someone who can buy an Xbox and say, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and play it here. I'm going to go ahead and buy this day one. But if you don't have the money or the means to do that and you're okay with waiting, you can just wait a year and then it comes to PlayStation, which you have. Yeah, and I've, I've said it before. Like I, I, I'm not one of those people that advocate you only have a PlayStation. Like I think that there is a reason to own every system that there currently is. And I, and I would I would argue that it's if you more, have the means to support yeah, that. Yeah, if you have the means to support that. Um, get, you know, get the Switch and then get a, 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 a budget gaming PC or get an Xbox uh, S uh Xbox One S, and then that way, you know, you can have your world opened up to other games, and there are other things worth playing on these other consoles. I just think that PS4 has the best of them. All right, here we are. I think we're going to go ahead into news. I'm going to do that unprofessional thing where I go pee real quick because I forgot to do so during the show. Oh, yeah. Even Joe Rogan goes and pees on his own podcast. (laughs) He also normally does three hours, but I'll take your excuse. (laughs) Uh, Saul's apparently the new Joe Rogan guy. I just wanted you to know that. All right, first thing up on the list uh, we talked about in the cold opening, Ghost of Tsushima finally received a release date alongside the reveal of a few different editions of the game. So if you've been waiting to see if there's collector's editions or what, you're in luck. The game will be available in a digital deluxe edition that includes a digital art book, director's commentary, a dynamic theme, and in-game items for $69.99. Physically, you can nab the special edition, which includes a steelbook as well as most of the items from the Digital Deluxe minus a few of the in-game items that is the same $69.99 price point. And lastly, the Collector's Edition includes the Steelbook, a cloth map, a cloth war banner that has the Ghost of Tsushima little circle and two upward-facing arrows uh, in it, uh, a wrapping cloth, a physical art book, and uh, the black Sakai mask from the game that you actually see Ghost put over uh, with a stand, which is really cool looking. Uh, and that, oh, and all the in game items from the digital deluxe version, all for $169.99. These, as well as the base game, are now available. Uh, as of June 26th is going to be that date, just under a month uh, after The Last of Us Part Two, which is pretty interesting uh, because what we heard earlier in the year was whenever, or technically last year, late last year, uh, when The Last of Us 2 got pushed back for its release date, uh, 
the that Ghost of Tsushima had to internally move that their planned release date. Um, which makes me think that now that we're seeing this a month after, that probably Ghost was originally aiming to release in May or somewhere right around early May or late uh, March. So yeah, interesting. So it looks like if it was already set up that way, they're kind of just moving everything a little bit down to a work for that. So that's cool. I think the collector's edition looks great. It comes out right after my birthday, so I'm excited for that. That's going to be uh, my birthday present to myself, much like the infamous two collector's edition was for me. Uh, next thing up, as Saul already mentioned a little bit earlier, PlayStation Productions has another project in the works. Actually, you know what? Saul's back. I want to see. Saul, did you watch the new trailer for Ghosts of Tsushima? I did. It looks incredible. It looks very good. It does. It looks like it's finally going to get here so that there's a nice break of things. Because like right now, like I said, I'm getting Final Fantasy VII whenever the second episode's announced and it gets kind of close to the release date for that. So there's nothing coming out to me right now except maybe Neo 2. So, like, this is kind of a weird break in between here and there. There's Animal Crossing, but I'm talking about PS4. Um, so, that'll be something that'll liven me up because it's June... 26th. 20, yeah. So, are you are you getting The Last of Us Part 2? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that's, that's once again, that's that's one game in, like, the next three months. And then oh, I game, just noticed that you hadn't mentioned it. So, yeah. I didn't know if you had somehow, with something you'd seen recently, decided that you didn't want to do that. So No. You know. No. I still stick to my guns, though. If I like start that game up and Joel dies within an hour, I'm just going to stop playing it <laughs> for a while. Just a man of my word. <laughs> I love uh, Joel. Yeah, so it looks really good. I'm, I'm excited. And, uh, you know, really, I, I, I've got to continue to give props to Sucker Punch. They have grown over and over with every game as a developer in such great ways. doesn't mean that every game has been better than the one before it, but I, you can clearly see that they've grown a lot as a studio. Uh, next up, though, is, uh, as Saul mentioned a little bit earlier, PlayStation Productions has another project in the works, despite not having released anything under the banner since its creation. Chernobyl creator Craig Mazin, alongside The Last of Us director Neil Druckmann, will be teaming up to adapt The Last of Us into a series through HBO. It appears that casting and production have not started, and this is in early stages, but we can only hope that the inclusion of uh, Neil Druckmann, who was the creative mind behind the game, uh, stops the project from falling into the same production hell of the long uncharted the long discussed and long delayed uncharted movie that's what i was going to say is that if it's anything based off of sony productions i, I we're not going to see it for at least two years minimum and i also have never found a video game franchise that has expanded into a movie that i liked or tv show that wasn't castlevania and advent children i love both of those but those are very two different styles. And Advent Children kind of only works because it's done in TGI, which is essentially what a Final Fantasy cutscene is. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't feel as removed. Yeah. I I there I cannot name one live action thing I've ever enjoyed that was video game based. So and and this is just out of curiosity. Uh, did you watch The Witcher? Or did you nope, not because you not, don't have interest in The Witcher? I have not watched The Witcher, but also that's not based off the games. It's based off the books. Oh, yeah. But so the game, I, I don't consider that's that fair. a uh, video yeah, game that adaptation. That is fair. Um, but uh, I will. I have HBO, so I will watch this. I, I guess just, I don't, I'm not putting any eggs in the basket for it for now. The reason I brought up The Witcher, actually, though, in relation to this, is that clearly The Witcher's... I should, I should be careful. The reason that The Witcher on Netflix had so much interest going into it was mainly because of the game was because of the hype around the series that the games have built. Yes. So all I should really say is that I understand why PlayStation is here because definitely right now, if you look at the success of the Witcher as a show, 
at least in part to the hype that was based around it being a very what had become a very big game uh, series makes it to where it's like oh things that were at some point in time tangentially tied to games can be really big if done correctly yeah but my other thing is and i'm a little curious where you stand on this as well i'm bummed that they would make the i think bad decision personally yep to adapt the existing game instead of using this as a moment to expand the universe i think honestly though they're both bad ideas i don't think that game should be expanded this way because if you think about it this has been done before in a weird offshoot series like with the walking dead there is now a side walking dead show or whatever I, and I think that no matter what, that you go... Well, okay, so do you mean expanding the universe separate from... I, okay, I'm, I'm trying once, to follow once you Once on you that expand one. the universe separate from the story that's being told, okay, it creates this big division, and that division can happen with the fans mainly not enjoying the side content as much as the normal content, but it opens it up to casual people who don't know about this main content. So I don't think that... It, I think that if they created side content for The Last of Us universe and they put it into a, a show where we follow these characters, there's going to be a large group of people very similar how I was more keen on the idea of playing as Joel in the second series, in the second part, because you are so familiar with Joel. You're going to have people like me and you who may watch that series with these very unfamiliar characters and say, well, this, this is just, these are they, like the story's fine, but these aren't, the, this is not why I love the last of us. The last of us for me is very lacking in terms of, this is going to sound crazy, but originality. It is very, it is the coolest thing about last of us is the enemy. It is, it is the, um, clicker well um, not, what just, do you mean by the, the enemy the enemy's race i'll go home fungo zombies but it's uh they have a name clickers no or, oh the uh oh lord the the race of the back the the fungi yeah the clickers are the the main one uh yeah clicker is uh, just a subsect uh or a, a a sub series i guess of, of these zombies but yeah, now that you said that i can't even think of what it actually is but, uh, but when you look at that on its own it's just a zombie it's, that's nothing special about it other than the design in the game, which is fine. But it's like, called the infective cordyceps. Cordyceps, yeah, that's well, what I was, it, it, yeah. I guess it's not. It's like it's it's not like an original name. I mean, it's just well, yeah. Like, it's, but it's going fair enough. Cordyceps yeah. fungi yeah. or fungi. Um, fungi, yeah, fungi. But uh, but yeah, like there's nothing to me amazing about that design now. Back then, when the last of us first came out, cool. It was something we hadn't seen before. Really, it's very rare you see a a fungi infestation like that is very creepy. The clicker sound and stuff like that. But now we know what that sounds like and, and everything for me, the last of us is about Joel and Ellie. And that's why I am still kind of in eh on the last of us part two, because I don't know what Joel's part is in it. I, I am more so in, fascinated by their story, not one of the others, even if the story will all of a sudden, like if Ellie got killed off in, in the last of us two, I would have said the same thing. I, I, I'm not interested in one of these two characters solo. This, that, that's not what gets me. It's the story of these two characters. Now I'm curious as to see what happens and kind of like what is the ending, at least of one of their stories, because that's what I have to, it's, you know, it's what, what you're going to get. You can't change it. Um, but it's the same as for a TV show. It's just going to put us in a world with these cordyceps that we already know. With characters we may not care about, if they're, if they're offset characters, w- with a story that may end up just not caring about, but it, or not being comparable in terms of quality to what we have now. So I, I think that the only way for them to go was with these characters that we already know and love. But I don't know what they're going to do. 
I don't know if this is going to be between the first and the second. No, no, it's a, it's an adaptation of the existing story. That's what I'm not liking. Uh, to me, I feel I don't I did not know that. Now so I should say this. I, I kind of get where you're going. Still, though, you're fair enough on your point, and it's a catch twenty two, like you mentioned, in that. If you, what I was really thinking is, even if you wanted to keep it with a character that they're familiar with, right? Yeah. And you kind of even with you, this would not work if you if your main interest is both Joel and Ellie together. Yes. But you know, one of the ways that I'd like to see them do it is that they could really this could be a prequel that touches on Joel and the things he's doing leading up to seeing what makes him the man in, in this twenty year gap. Seeing what kind of forges him to be the man that he becomes by the time that we join him again twenty years after the start of the game. Yeah. Because when you play the beginning of The Last of Us and then you have that twenty year gap and then you see the new Joel, he's, a very he's an entirely man. different man. Yeah. So one of the ways that I was thinking is I would love to see a prequel that still actually uses Joel so that you do have that connection point of a character that people are familiar with and love. <laughs> But you get to see him, and, and there's a reason why Ellie would not be there, because it's before Ellie. Well, so even, you kind of get to pull that in. Even then, I feel like that's something they will still touch on. In, well, maybe. In, but, the, no, I almost guarantee that they'll have flashbacks well, or something. Well, yeah, but I, I guess I should say, but of course, the, the Catch-22 of... That was that was where I really wanted it to go. But I would also be interested in seeing, hey, here, just put people in this world and, and let's do two new characters maybe or, or however many new characters. But you're right. You're going to have a catch-22 no matter what of. If you go with entirely new characters, you're going to have a lot of people that are really happy for the fact that they went with new characters and it's not uh, just people that you already knew and story you already followed, but now it's something entirely different. But then you're going to be having people who are upset that Joel and Ellie are not in it. But on the other side of that... If you go with Joe and Ellie and tell the story we've already seen, people who have already experienced the game have less of a reason to want to watch it because it's like, well, why would I watch something I've already played multiple times? Well, this is the other side of the coin for me now knowing it is an adaptation of the first game. In the very same, in the very kind of same vein that I was saying of like, The Last of Us does not have something great originally in terms of like the monsters. Like they're cool designs, but they're not like... It's not like when I saw The Thing for the first time. It's something like that. It's not like when I saw the Eldritch things in Bloodborne for the first time. It wasn't something like that. But also... You had me on The Thing. I'm a little lost on the Bloodborne thing because clearly Eldritch things have... You know, Eldritch monster designs and and Lovecraftian have existed for a long time. Yeah, and so have zombies. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't... But, so it, it, was not, it was not of a shock at all because you have Eldritch beings that have very, very different looks like to them. There's hundreds of designs of eldritch creatures seeing what that was shocked me versus seeing a, a clicker for the first time or a um it's not called boomer because that's left for dead but it's the big the the gym fight boss in last of us yeah. um like that was more shocking than seeing a regular cordyceps which is what you face with the majority of the game mm-hmm. but also the story of joel and ellie is what makes it for the first time around the only replayability that game has in my opinion knowing the story and everything is the way the game plays yeah, you I love the way with, the game plays. Yes, yeah. the tension that that game can provide with the stealth and management of, of bullets and supplies and, and everything and crafting what you need and what situations. I don't think this TV show is going to work well for us, but I don't know who this TV show is targeted for. Yeah. Because I would not imagine somebody who is interested in Last of Us 2 watching a TV series 
to catch up for the first game and not just playing the first game. It's hard because you know you want to say, well, maybe it'll get people to pull in to The Last of Us as a series if they watch this first and they go, you know what, I'd be willing to try this as a game. But the problem that you come into is now they can't start with The Last of Us 1 unless they're willing to just sit through the same story again. Because the problem you have with people who have experienced the, the first story is that watching it will have no tension because you know everything that's going to happen. Even well, if they change it slightly, and not you even, still essentially, you know what the stakes are and you know what the uh, ultimate thing is. They're not going to change the major parts of the game. Well, and not even that, mm-hmm. but like, well, I should say, I should specify that whenever I say the, the story of Joel and Ellie... I don't mean that in terms of the actual story in the game by any means, because the story in the game is very clear cut. It's very, very easy to understand. Yeah, There's nothing no, about you mean it. It's like the, the dialogue and interaction. Yes, it is. Them. It is getting to a certain part, and I'm I'm gonna still kind of beat around the bush on this because there are probably people playing it for the first time leading up to the second one. But there's a certain part in the game, like where you get to a roadblock or where you get to a snowy area, and there's the way that the gameplay halt or the game, the story kind of halts and it's you and Ellie figuring out what to do in these situations. And then the kind of the, the conversations that are had at the end is what makes it. Uh, so I'm, I'm really kind of confused on why this exists unless it's just because they wanted to do it for no, like just because they wanted to do it, I guess, See, but which my, is a valid reason. I'm not saying it's yeah, not. My thing for PlayStation Productions is if the only goal they have here is to just adapt every game they have into a series, then none of this is going to land on me because it's pointless. Yeah. Now, if their goal is to exp- expand universes by new content and featuring either the same characters or the same worlds, then I'm more down for that because at least it has a chance to strike me as something original and it works for the other audience because it can be people who come in and go hey what's this and I can follow this and it may give me interest in going and playing the game that also has a different story you know yeah that's essentially where I land on it but either way I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited to see where it turns up more from a, what kind of quality even if I don't agree with it being an adaptation what kind of quality do we get here and does that set the tone for how for the quality that we expect to see from future projects that may not be direct adaptations and may instead be expanding universes and worlds that we really like. So that's kind of where I'm at. on. That. I'll always go through the exact same, exact same steps for this, uh, for any form of adaptation from a book and or game. And that is, I'm interested. I'm excited to see who they cast for it. And inevitably they cast somebody terrible in it. I'm like, Oh no, I'm not excited for that at all. <laughs> like Prince of Persia. Like they were like Jay Dylan Hall. I'm like, that actually is kind of cool. And then the movie is terrible. And then Assassin's Creed, they had Michael Fassbender. I'm like, that's actually a big, good star. Let's watch it. This movie is terrible. (laughs) All right. Next thing up, moving on from that, PS Now continues making strides with a big month of additions. Subscribers now have access to Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, which is great because I get to play that without having to pay any additional money. Control. Shadow of the Tomb Raider, uh, and those are the three big hitters leading the month, but other games such as NASCAR Heat 3, Dead or Alive 5 last round, uh, and both Tukadin Kiwami and Tukadin 2 uh, are just some of the other games joining the service this month. Um, I was just about to download Control on Games Pass. Yeah, so it's more sensible. I like that we're seeing at least PS Now getting games that seem more exciting 
than just tapping into super early games from the generation. Yeah. Like with every every month, I feel like they're adding more and more things. And I'm like, these are two games now that I've been wanting to play, but I just didn't know if I wanted to spend the money because I was unsure of a couple of things. So Wolfenstein 2, Wolfenstein 1 just did not hold my attention. Uh, and there was a lot of things about it that were just bland and kind of generic to me. And a lot of more things in, in the Wolfenstein 2, it looks like a, it's got a more unique art style. It's got a much more pleasing graphical fidelity. It's got uh, more... It's it seems like the story of where they're trying to take things is a little more interesting to me. So I'm, I'm willing to play it, but I was weary about spending money on it. The same thing exists for Shadow of the Tomb Raider. With them changing devs between the people who actually made the Tomb Raider reboot and then Rise of the Tomb Raider, I was worried that changing devs to a completely new team with the third game would make a game that just wouldn't resonate with me the same way. So I didn't want to spend that much money on it. Now yeah. I don't have to spend any money on either of them because I've already spent the money on on game, on PS Now. So I like that. That's cool. I just I appreciate that, and I'm glad to see them still making strides. And it seems like every month is getting bigger and bigger, which makes me wonder, what does PS Now look like on launch day PS5? Yeah, it's getting to the point now for me, like with PS Now and Games Pass, it's almost like there's no point in buying new games. Just wait two months, and they'll be on... Like one of these services, at least third party games. Yeah, like Control uh, well, came out like what three months ago? Of, what? No, Control's like seven months old, eight months old. I thought old. Control came out around November. No, is that when you just first played it, or has no, time gone by that fast? I bought it at launch. Look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you the Control release date right now, uh, August. Man, I thought that game came out way, way more recent. So, yeah. Time's go by fast. <clears throat> yeah, go show you. Uh, so, yeah, I think that this is probably what you'd expect to see out of the service. Games that are about six months old joining in. I mean, Wolfenstein 2 is actually a lot older than that. Now, I'm not, surprised yeah. that it didn't hit when a bunch of the other Bethesda games They came out at the beginning of last year, right? Or even at the end of 2018? I think Wolfenstein 2 was a late 2018. Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, next thing up is fans who have been eager for EA to bring back Skate may find a lot to like in Skater XL, a game that's been in early access on PC for a few years that is coming to PS4 with the 1.0 release of the game. The game tweaks the Skate formula further by mapping control of each foot to the corresponding analog stick. So just there's, there's no confusion. That means that your left analog stick will control your left foot and your right analog stick will control your right foot. And then the way that th those movements react change depending on what you're doing so if you're rolling and you you know do both your feet in opposite directions you'll do a skid if you're in the air you'll do like a shove it kind of it's it's interesting um and i think that if you want to see more in action uh, there's a big ps blog post that kind of shows a lot of this and has a lot of gifts that actually show essentially this in every different reaction of what you could be having uh whether you're doing something slowly or quickly and what effect it can have on or you can just go check out gameplay it looks really good and the main reason i bring this up is do you remember back at e3 uh last year there's a game that people have been talking about for a long time called session yeah xbox was able to grab at least uh timed exclusivity for console release of that game which i don't think has actually happened yet um surprisingly, but it wasn't going to come to PlayStation until later down the line. So for Sony to go through in the line and say, and whether this game's coming to Xbox or not, I don't know, but this is at least a way that people on PS4 will not have to wait so long to get still an interesting take on the skateboarding series. Since all we've really had this generation has been Tony Hawk's pro skater five, which was a huge letdown. yucky. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's cool to see every one of these blog posts when you're reading about these games is kind of like, it's been eight years or 10 years since the last actual, you know, big name, big budget skateboarding game has hit. I like that there's a lot of people who are trying to do something 
on a more indie level to get out to this because I think by now development has got to a point where indie developers can make a really compelling game that doesn't seem like it's compromising much for skateboarding in particular, because there's, I, I shouldn't say this in like a derogatory way. It's not really what I mean by it, but they're not that complicated. So now that we kind of have a footprint of where you should try and look, tweaking that and making a game that fits to your expectations, it's not crazy. I appreciate that. Also, I still think the EA should bring Skate 4. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Uh, anything you want to add to that, Saul? No, I'm okay. excited for it, but I, I was reading a... Um... Uh, in the PS4 subreddit, there was an announcement for the uh, for Skater XL, and I'm trying to find what it was because there's something wrong with the game. The, the, a mod fixes, and I don't know what it was. Oh, on PC right now? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't want to be hard on the game in terms of having an opinion based off of early access PC from an indie developer, uh, but where it's going to really rubber hit the road is going to be if the 1.0 release on both computer and PS4 have some kind of really bad problems yeah because uh, you know that's kind of what it is to me i love the idea of early access because of the fact that even if you have these even if these bugs are in there or these things are coming in there they are being upfront about the fact that this is early access this is not indicative of a final product some people don't like the idea of early access because they think it leads credence to developers releasing games in what should be a 1.0 state but then later coming back and treating it like early access yeah but i don't feel like that's been as big of a problem at more often than not, I feel like the benefits of the idea of early access much like, far outweigh the potential cons that come alongside that ideology. So, uh, next thing up though is tying back to our Kickstarter discussion a few episodes back. We've received a somewhat disappointing update on Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Back during the game's Kickstarter, a stretch goal was added to where if the game reached five million in funding, uh, a Roguelike mode would be added that randomly generated castles that were unique with each run, something akin to essentially uh, Rogue Legacy, uh, which was a you know a very popular game uh, towards the beginning of the generation and end of the last. Uh, anyway, that mode has now officially been canceled, citing the code's inability to handle that type of gameplay, and instead is being replaced with a randomizer mode. This mode keeps the castle the exact same, but gives control to change a number of parameters to swap placement of items and enemies within the game, as well as what items enemies can drop, uh, which can vastly change how you progress through the game, and also at least adds the ability that you never quite know what's going to be in any given room. Because one of the things when you're playing these types of games is that you hyper-learn what's in each area, so that when you're going through each area, you learn how to just essentially fly through it. Yeah, and, that's what I like about those kind of games. Yeah, but I, I also like the idea of the same type of game being completely randomized. Yeah, Dead Cells. It's, it's exactly. It's what makes Dead Cells fun. Yeah. So while it's... Uh, I guess the bigger thing here is that just because a game reaches a Kickstarter goal... This is a really good example of Bloodstained is considered a success of of a Kickstarter game as opposed to something like Mighty Number no. Nine, but that doesn't mean that it's without its faults. Even though they promised this, the code that they had already started building back then apparently was just never set up in a way that it could handle randomly generated content. Yeah. So, I guess the bigger thing here is that they should have known this early on enough to have been able to say say this. Probably before the game released. Like, yeah. this is something that was probably knowable, but they, I, it's, a, it's one of those things where I guarantee they were trying their best to do it. And they were just like, we can't do it without essentially rebuilding the foundation of the game, which is just too costly. And you can kind of get, uh, you can get 
to a point where you're halfway there with a randomizer. So at least we're not going to cut content and not put anything in its place. We're going to cancel something and at least try and give you something as a, to make up for it. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a half measure, but at least a half measure is better than nothing at all. But it, it is a, why you should sometimes be a little weary of, of Kickstarter and know that just because you think that you've funded something that's going to come does not always mean that you're going to get it. Still, shout out to Bloodstained. Fantastic game. I really, really loved it. Uh, next thing up, a new Test Drive Unlimited, a series that's been dormant since the 2000 release of Test Drive Unlimited 2, has been teased by publisher Nacon. The game is being developed by KT Racing, a team within Kyloton, who make the WRC games and uh, state that it is the publisher's biggest project by far. Now, part of the reason I bring this up, and I find it interesting, is I don't know if you've ever played the Test Drive Unlimited games, any of you? So I don't know if you ever have. Nope. They're never very... Even, never even really paid attention to them. At work, talk to Bobby about it. He's going to be super excited know. about this. But this comes back into something that's very different in the way that they approach what's big about racing games. So do you remember back in the PS2 game that they had a lot of racing games like Juiced? Yeah, weird and, racing, just weird off the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And each one of them kind of had their own stick of what people really liked and leaned into. So like Juiced's big thing was that... Um, you could essentially make every race as crazy as you want it to be. You could put up money, you could put up a pink slip, and you could eventually actually run out of cars and not be able to progress in the game anymore because you lost the only car you had. So stupid. Uh, it's an interesting idea, but it really, it's like, hey, you know the part of the Need for Speed games where you can occasionally put up pink slips or win a pink slip? This is like taking that to the max and actually, actually making you pay the consequences for those actions. But... Test Drive Unlimited is really crazy because what Bobby likes about it is the ability to kind of drive around, get a house, go to your house. And it's not like you can walk around in it, but you can have actions that are essentially performable. So it's like you could pick up a girl and like race with them in the car and whatnot, and you could get them to like you and then take them back to your house. All these extra things that normally racing games do not do outside yeah. of like, you know, most racing games have gotten to a point where they have a a narrative thread that at least kind of gives you a reason, if nothing else, to a reason for the story to move forward so that you have a motivation. Um, but this game is far more about like, well, what if you took some of the aspects of Grand Theft Auto and just kind of put them in in a really weird way on top of an actual racing game? That's so weird. So, hey, you know what? <laughs> if that sounds like your kind of thing, I guess, you know, it's kind of like why I brought up uh, Dangerous Driving 2 last episode. I'm glad to see that racing games are getting more diverse again, regardless of how you feel about which ones are which. It's right. like Dangerous Driving 2 is more like a, a more like Burnout coming back. Need for Speed's still doing its thing. Forza Horizon is doing its thing. Forza and Gran Turismo are more the simulator style, styles. Uh, and then you get to the point of something like this, which is kind of stretching it to a slightly more ridiculous angle. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's an understatement. I'm almost curious if we're going to get another driver game sometime soon. Driver San Francisco was like a straight up story narrative driven game that just also happened to have driving and, and racing. I had a driver game uh, for for the Game Boy Advance, and that game looked amazing for the Game Boy. For the Game Boy Advance, <laughs> yeah. Like I remember, I was playing on the bus one day on the ride home from school, and I was like, "Is that Grand Theft Auto?" <laughs> oh man, it was so good. Yeah. So it'd be that's all I'm waiting on now. Bring Driver back, you cowards. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, despite Ikumi Nakamura's departure from Tango Gameworks as creative director over Ghostwire Tokyo, it appears the game is still moving along well in a recent discussion on a kind of funny show. Bethesda's Pete Hines discussed both Deathloop, which is the next title by Arcane Studios, people behind um, Dishonored, as well as Ghostwire Tokyo. And teased that it is likely teased what is likely a gameplay reveal for the game for E3 or whatever counterpart the show may have in the event of cancellation due to the coronavirus. Speaking of which, if you're not abreast on that, uh, E3 and the group around that are discussing right now whether they want to move forward amidst the fact that LA, where this is normally held, is is in a state of emergency. Yeah. So because of the coronavirus, um, we may really see the impact that this has on the gaming world be a lot more than what we were originally even thinking. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of that, though, uh, I guess I should say, I don't want to move too far off of Ghostwire. I am curious to see, with the creative director leaving a game, I'm always curious to see how it'll end up. Because I'm always in that thing of like, the creative director is normally the one who really brings this thing forward and says, hey, this is the idea I have. And they're the people that have the kind of drive to bounce ideas off of other people and eventually come with something that's a culmination of a lot of ideas that are based around a singular idea that they are connecting. When that person leaves, it doesn't mean that a game's foundation can't still be pushed on and worked on. But when you're doing it with someone else, it's almost like what probably would have made that game really unique in its own sense is now going to be scarred by the fact that halfway through development or a quarter through development or whatever, that creative driving factor has left. So anywhere it goes from here could vastly vary from what the original plan was. And you may get a game that feels like a game that's two games that are just sewn together. Yeah. Kind of. Um, I look at it from like, could you imagine if, if for as much as fable two is doing its own thing, could you imagine if halfway through fable two's development, Peter Molyneux just left Lion gate? Yeah. I don't think that the game would probably be even what it is. I thought, yeah, it'd probably be canceled. Honestly. Yeah, so I mean, it, I, I guess it's to say I'm, I'm glad that they're not canceling it because it's actually one of the most interesting looking games that Bethesda's had in years. But I'm worried that without that creative driving factor... It's just going to come out another Bethesda game. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I did not play uh, the Evil Within 2. I played part of the first one and it just wasn't for me. It didn't quite strike right. I had a lot of weird things that from a gameplay standpoint, I didn't love Two seemed like it was trying to fix some of that. But again, that's something I don't want to spend money on. If it joins something like PS now or games pass, I may try it. But until then I'm, I'm, I, but Shinji Mikami is still there. Uh, and you know, he's a creative person who is behind resident evil four and, and resident evil as a whole. Um, but that does not necessarily mean that him taking back over is for the best of what the game could have been. Um, but we'll see either way. I'm surprised that with this, we've not seen Ikumi land anywhere yet. Yeah. Like she's just still kind of been free spiriting it on Twitter. I could see that. That's her personality. But I really, I have, I feel like she's going to land somewhere soon. I just, obviously she's no Kojima, but Kojima also had a while where he was just kind of doing his thing. It's like, well, he's not in Konami, but it wasn't long before Sony eventually was like, we snagged him up, and even though we have nothing more to show you, all we're telling you is a video of saying, "Hey, we got him with a net." Yeah. We so, um, either way, on the on the other side of that is, uh, of course, 
the flip side of the E3 thing potentially being canceled from coronavirus, uh, did you see that AMD said that it looks like right now production's still on for consoles to not be delayed? Yeah, I don't know if I just trust AMD though. There's a lot of parts that go into a console. Sure, I mean, and it could de- and, and it could, be it the could SSD change before we get there. Manufacturer who gets who who gets delayed for PS5 and we don't get that. Yeah. Also, they confirmed that, and for anybody who's who's tech geek out there, they've confirmed that both of uh, both Xbox and PS5 will be using RDNA two instead yeah. of RDNA one, uh, which gives about a fifty percent power increase per watt, which just means that you're getting more performance out of the what you're getting of. Essentially, you're getting more performance out of the chipset than you otherwise would have. And what's really good about this is that this goes back to consoles trying to be on the cutting edge of technology more so than we saw at the beginning of the PS4 gen. Speaking of AMD and RDNA 2, where is that leak kit that said PS5 will be revealed on uh, March 3rd? Right. Lies. I told y'all. Like, that's that's just, that sounded like a fanboy making that up. Oh, it did. And also, my bigger thing is... Why all these ridiculous leaks? Like, well, they, well, they, they, they. Here's the thing: is they, they saw the RDNA stuff was being announced with AMD. They're like, okay, so Sony's gonna have to say something to this. So let me make it, and let's make it more powerful than the Xbox One X, because or the Series X, because I can't have that console being more powerful. And it, yeah, I'm, Stop being so you, insecure, I'm, I'm so dude. tired of seeing like how, and even some people have been like, oh, well, the reason we're seeing two different leaked uh, reports of what the PlayStation 5's power is going to be is because they're doing a PS5 Plus, just like Xbox is doing a Series S, which Xbox has confirmed that they're doing a Series S Yeah, with Lockhart, but we don't know what that actually is. Is it literally just a budget gaming machine or is it going back to their idea of a completely ba- a streaming based box we don't know that yeah yet. we don't know so but regardless I, people are saying well the reason you're seeing multiple ps5 specs is because there's two different ones you're well, seeing multiple why are there five different ps5 specs you're seeing multiple ps5 specs because dumb news websites like push square are making rumor articles about these reveals quote unquote and people are taking them as oh this is uh this is an article made by a reputable um, PlayStation Magazine website. This is real. No, it's not, and that's why I hate it when news websites I don't, propagate these rumors. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw any hate on on uh, Push Square. I'm not. I'm, put, I'm throwing hate on what they're doing, not on them. I, I'm not even throwing, throwing hate on what they're doing because they're it, it, I, really it's the people who look at it and take it as solid truth. When Push Square, I read those articles too. They I always too, say, take like, these with a grain of salt. This is very highly not true, but very the, likely not true. But all they're doing is reporting information and telling you, hey. This is a rumor that comes from this person on this Which is, thing, yeah, and it could be false. The very, the very beginning of them creating an article based on conjecture is then adding somewhat of reliability to that conjecture. Because it's taking their For time. For ignorant people yes. who look at it and go, oh, push Well, this wouldn't be an article if, if it wasn't true. And then so then then we got like 5 million PS5 specs that none of which are real. Well, and it leads into what we're talking about of... PS5 stuff, because they've been so quiet, is just at that fever pitch where people are willing to immediately believe and accept and hope that any rumor that they see has to be 100% true. That's the real problem, in my opinion. And that's why people are so keen to look at a, a, a report on a push square or one of those, our dual shockers or whatever, and be like, oh, it's got to be true. Because they're just, they're fiending for information so hard. That they're willing to take anything. It's they like can the same people who it. made up. Oh, I know what's going to be at E three this year. That's I don't think people realize it, but there was like a um, the state of play that we were all watching at one point in Discord or something. I'm like, oh yeah, the big banger this ep- this episode is going to be the God of War two is getting announced. Like I was mimicking those people who who make up these stupid accusations. I mean, not accusations, but these stupid rumors, and I treat them as if they're some kind of industry insider, and they're clearly not. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, and let me let me not forget that the people who do this, they'll go back and delete all the tweets regarding anything that they they talk about, so they can say, "Oh, I never said that." Well, I, I, I know who you are. I remember things. You're there's not, a couple of people who have been consistently accurate and do not go back and delete tweets, which are more interesting. Like yeah. the Osiris Black, I think was the guy's name, who was mentioning. He didn't say a game's name though, and that's why some. But he very very detailed gave a description of a trailer that from all the details sound a lot like the order sequel, but it also could potentially be resistance. Cause it's like, well, you see what uh, you see both of those. But the thing is he was the one who leaked well in advance, the PS4 pro and was right on every bit of what he said. You saw that, uh, but insomniac it, has been posting pictures of resistance on their Twitter. Yes, I have. That's weird. <laughs> it's really gonna piss me off. If that means nothing. If they're just doing it for fun, <laughs> yeah. I really want to play through with one through three insomniac. Let me play it. Well, Sony. I mean, because ultimately Insomniac have no control over what Sony tells them they can and can't do. Yeah, Sony, get on it. Also, I would be really surprised if a 1 through 3 remaster was through Insomniac. It would probably be through someone like Bluepoint or yeah. another port studio. Yeah, Bluepoint. They're too busy making that emulation software. <laughs> you going to die on that hill? Maybe. It's a high hill to die on. It is a high hill to die on. All right, next up, Sony Santa Monica studio head Shannon Studstill has surprisingly left the company to join a new studio as studio head within Google for their Stadia. Uh, her role is being filled by longtime developer Yumi Yang, a key figure in the project management for God of War. If you saw the making of God of War documentary that PlayStation put out, you see just how important she was for that. So she's a really good fit. Uh, and, of course... Um, Oh, how am I forgetting his name? The guy who got <laughs> promoted uh, into Shuhei's position, uh, Herman Holst from Guerrilla Gold uh, yeah. Games. Uh, he, have, of course, has been doing his role of uh, staying active on Twitter. I actually appreciate that. He's been doing really well, and I think he realized that him coming in, he didn't have the benefit. Like When Shuhei started getting a little more quiet, it was like, well, he's been doing it for years, and he did. he's already done his part to connect with fans, so people already love him. While Herman was liked... In that position, it's good for him to be pretty vocal. Yeah. So I'm 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 happy about that. Uh, all right. I think now is probably the best time to kind of go towards the uh, Final Fantasy VII stuff. So, like we've already talked about, unless you've been under a rock, you've seen that Final Fantasy VII uh, remake has received a demo for users to play ahead of its April release. Uh, and this is after months and months of uh, the demo's existence being teased. The weird thing are leaked actually. And there was a lot of information leaked from within the demo files. Uh, the weird thing is, and I don't know that you saw this. Um, I think it was maybe Sunday. Yeah. Last Sunday before I went to bed, me and Kiki at like 12 o'clock at night, we're talking like, it's amazing that we've not seen the final fantasy seven demo, despite it being leaked and announced and like everybody knowing about it more yeah. than two months ago. And then Monday the next morning or not even oh, technically, if I would have woke up in the discord, Sean, immediately messaged me at like 3.30 in the morning and says, it's not a drill. Final Fantasy VII Remake demo. And of course, woke up. I thought that was such weird timing, but I'm glad we got it. Um, so I want to start this off with you because I think of everyone who's been listening to this show for a long time, of course, the people on Discord know a little bit about how you feel, but the Final Fantasy VII Remake has been a somewhat point of contention with you for a while. Yeah. So starting with how you felt about it and how it potentially changed your opinions on when you're going to get Final Fantasy VII and how you feel about it being broken up is a lot of things. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, it didn't really change anything with the release date of that uh, for me. Like, I'm still not going to get it on release. Uh, I'm going to get wait to get it until I hear two is announced, and then uh, I'll judge how long it takes to beat the game when when to get it before two. Uh, but 
Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought the battle system was done really, really well. It wasn't as boring as Final Fantasy XV's battle system, nor Kingdom Hearts' battle system was in three. But it was at the same time, it felt more. There was more flow to it. I felt that when I was going through and using spells and stuff like that, that I actually kind of felt uh, well done. And I actually learned. Uh, I started using the hold L one to do all that stuff. But before that, I was hitting X to slow down time and kind of playing through that. Um, hold L1 is that how you keep it in the you can I've only played it, it once is yeah, that you, how can, you... you can hot bar it and you can have like potions or a circle and, and, and fire is square okay um, so essentially Kingdom Hearts on that particular yes. aspect uh, yeah. yeah but I was still I still found myself hitting X and stuff to do all that stuff um, the music was great the character designs were all great it's exactly what I expected them to look like uh, based off their older models um, and I said all this in discord like I enjoyed it the only thing that got me was two two points of negativity, one that got erased, and this is why I replayed it, because you could actually change the camera angle, and I did not know that the first time I played it. There was a couple of instances, uh, especially the end at the escape, where we all those enemies would pop up and stuff, and you have to stop for a second to fight them, that the camera was way too janky. It was way too close, and then if I'd used the camera angle or the, the stick to kind of move the angle around, I'd end up hitting, this is another thing that kind of makes me mad, I was hitting the wall, but it's also one of those games that if, using the stick when you're targeting flicks to the other enemy. So it's like I, I was trying to get out of a bad camera angle, but I was doing nothing but targeting another enemy. So I'd have to untarget the enemies and then change the camera angle around. They got fixed whenever I realized you could change the camera angle. Um, so that's why I went back and replayed almost all of it with the fixed camera angle. And that was no longer an issue at all. Um, yeah. The other thing is, though, is that when I beat it, I, I was sitting there thinking, and I was like, you know what? This took roughly, you know, 40, 45 minutes to beat somewhere in there. Yeah. That's about how long this entire section took in the first game. I'm still... This game did nothing to, to solve the issues of what they are expanding upon uh, in my eyes with this game. Um, I was kind of expecting to be able to explore Shinra a little bit more and kind of go through and, and go through the reactors. This was almost a shot-for-shot shot remake. Mm -hmm. And people were complaining about it being too linear, and it's like, well, you're an idiot, because this is how the game was originally. So if you thought, that if you, unless you somehow thought that they were going to change this up like I did, and you put all your eggs into that basket, then it's going to be the exact same. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with that at all. But it took the same amount of time, which kind of throws me off. I can't imagine this section changing in the first game. So the first hour to maybe hour and a half of this game is going to be the exact same as the PlayStation version. Where are these changes? That's what I want to see. I want to see where this extra time is going to make this game 40 hours or whatever it may be. Yeah. And something tells me that when they said that it is a full-length Final Fantasy game, I want to say that there could have been mistranslation there. because, Or I hope that there's mistranslation there the more and the more I think about it. Because if this game ended up being 25 hours long, that could be fine. Well, but, actually, because they never said forty hours, so I'm glad you said that. Right, huh? but, but uh, yeah, so you, you, they say it's the it's the length of an average Final Fantasy game, which so is 30, I'm going to put that between hours. 25 and 40 hours, depending even, on the game. I, is there is there a Final Fantasy game you could beat 24 hours on your or 25 hours on your first time? Oh yeah, plenty on your first time. Yeah, I, and that's actually because Kingdom Hearts lies lines right into those. It's like, if you're not doing a bunch of side content, I'm, most of a, 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 definitely longer back. Uh, Final Fantasy games used to averagely be 25 to 30 hours, which is about the same length See, I, for a Kingdom Hearts I, I game. I grind and I explore and stuff, so it's never yeah. taken me that that <clears> little <throat> less of time. But when you think about it, I think we landed on that we both beat God of War in like 25 hours. Mm -hmm. So like, what I, I'm, I'm still 
it's troubling to see like what they're going to expand into this game. And this is something I think we're only ever going to get when reviews are out. But uh, what they're going to fit into this game to make it as long as God of War was or make it as long as Kingdom Hearts 3 was. Uh, because by the end of both of those games, I was just ready for the resolution. I was tired of one Kingdom Hearts 3 just a little bit more than God of War, but I was still ready to get this story resolved to see the ending, the conclusion. There are two things with Final Fantasy 7 there. I don't know when I'll get to see the conclusion of what's coming up next, even though I'm getting a conclusion of what I'm currently doing and where the time is going to be in these sections. Like, I don't know if I need to ex- expect when to, you know, how long I'll be doing the, the flower stuff or earth is going to take. And, and um, once again, I'm kind of just being very vague, but there's a part where you get to go to Aerith's house. I'm curious as to how long that section is going to take. I'm curious of all these things and of how, you know, what all this is going to take. And what's going to be different? And it's it's just a question. I was kind of hoping the demo would someone answer me because I did not see a single example of that in the demo. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to add in there? No, no, I'm pretty much done. So I enjoyed it though. Yeah, I think a lot of your I knew stuff. I would. I think a lot of your stuff is 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 sensible as to where you stand. Uh, I'm glad because actually, as soon as I started the game, the first thing I noticed was the camera was awful. Yeah, uh, Arkham now, Arkham levels bad. Yeah, well, and I don't think it's bad in Arkham, but the games play way differently. Well, I think it's bad in Arkham. I, I don't think Batman should take up eighty percent of the screen. Uh, I mean, what I should say is that the camera never hampered my gameplay in Arkham, but it clearly hampered my gameplay in Seven. Oh yeah. So we're regardless of where how close you just from a preference thing you feel it's it's matters once it starts messing with gameplay and to me i agreed from the first battle that i did i was like this camera feels too close and it it swings way too far and, when the, you, and, and it does like so yeah i'm glad immediately when i had and that, the first time they um, tell you how to control barrett you're shooting at a thing that's up and you can't see it because it's out of frame i'm sitting there shooting and i'm like okay i, don't, I guess I'm yeah pulling keep... the camera back yes i, I i'll give them a, a lot of props for realizing that for people there probably is someone out there who loved the way the camera was Good on them. Good on them. <laughs> but I'm glad that they had the foresight to go, you know what, considering the game and the the breadth of people yeah. that you're going to be able to play as and their differences in abilities. Because I think the camera would have, and I already fixed it by them, but thinking about Barrett, dude, the camera yeah. would have been Everything so much worse for Barrett than so, it was for Final uh, for uh, Cloud. Yeah. So yeah, I think that them having the foresight to go, we should probably let people control the camera and where it sits, but not just free fall but you know there's three settings you have three different distances that you can choose from yeah and of course i went to three and that felt the best for yeah, me that's what um, i did but um yeah i definitely agree that was one of my first things um <clears throat> tying in from i'm gonna start with gameplay tying in with what you thought i really loved uh, and was genuinely surprised from final fantasy 15 when it when uh once nomura was off of it and i knew that that means that meant that the game was going to play way different uh, because Nomura just has a style that he typically goes to with his games. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost immediately with Final Fantasy 15, they immediately come through and say, or the new director, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head for some reason. Uh, You're not talking about Tabata. Tabata, yes, yeah, what it was. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tabata says, well, we're going to make the game really easy to play. And they backed off of that a hair. Originally, it was going to be, well, you hit one button to do everything. You attack with one button. Kind of what it was. And, and it wasn't far from that, but you could... You could fake the game to make it better, not great, but better yeah. by just tapping the button so well, that it was more like Kingdom Hearts. Something but, 15 does is you hold, you can, you know, tap square to attack and then you hold square just to do like a wide sweep. And Final Fantasy VII does something kind of similar, but mm-hmm. 
Seven has that stance change mechanic that allows you to combo into a stance change, and it just feels so much more fluid. It does. Uh, but yeah, I was worried because I was like, I really don't want a game where you're just holding buttons. It's like Kingdom Hearts, for as simplified as its system can be for anybody, what I always love about Kingdom Hearts is that it's easy to play for anybody, yeah. but if you want to dig into it, every one of their, for the most part, every one of their combat systems have a lot of depth. Yeah. Now, the problem is, is that if you don't go looking for it, it seems like a really shallow system. But the problem is, Final Fantasy XV's was just a shallow system. I think that both Kingdom Hearts uh, and Final Fantasy XV systems were... were a, a tad tedious depending on what you did like i think that i could see three what you mean 15s that wasn't deep enough to be tedious to me well that's why it was tedious it okay. was just the same thing over and over again. yeah uh so anyway that's why uh, i'm having troubles replaying it now yeah I, just, I was worried that 15 became the square's idea of you have to make these games easy so that more people would want to buy them but i'm glad with seven Difficulty clearly exists. Yeah. Even on normal difficulty, which is what I was play, uh, playing, I was surprised, and it actually took me off, because again, I was saying, um, you're using 15 as your frame of reference, and I think the immediate thing this demo did for me is made me no longer look at this like, oh, this is not the, this is not Square trying to look at what they did with 15, at least on major gameplay elements. This is Square realizing that 15 was probably a misstep in a lot of directions, even though it sold really well, uh, and that... If you're going to go back to something like 7, you cannot do this thing where you suddenly make it incredibly easy. Definitely yeah. if you're going to do it beside technically changing the entire gameplay of the of the game. So when you're moving it, they did a lot of smart decisions there. Moving to something that lets you play in, in what is essentially a turn-based mode with a smart move, but also letting it be freely open for a more modern feel for people that want that. Yeah, But yeah, I, I absolutely loved how tactical everything felt from the stance change like you talked about and knowing that when you stance change it affects other things so now when you block it changes the way that blocks work yeah. and what happens with the block it changes your speed there's all sorts of pros and cons to each system that kind of go okay like you know the main system and i can't remember what it was called the other one was like berserk or whatever something like that um commander command uh, commander was the first one but what was the second one was it oh why did you just say it wasn't, it wasn't berserk, berserk it was something Essentially like that. But um, I like that when, you ha when you're when you on normal commander, it's like, well, you're it's it's kind of like the idea of like in games that are RPGs where you're a knight. Like, oh, you start as the most well-rounded. But if you want to go into something that's a little more aggressive or a little more this or a little more that, you have the ability to switch into something that has a lot more power, but some cons that come along with that power. And I love that idea. Uh, the other thing I loved is that you had to earn everything. So as opposed to 15 where you just do everything willy-nilly, like, oh, I'm getting hurt. I'm just going to throw a potion. And the only thing I really have to worry about is that the time it takes to take a potion, you know, because if you get hit, you get interrupted. Yeah. That's about the only thing you care to worry about. Whereas in Final Fantasy, you have to start with 7 remake. You start noticing, oh, I've been kind of poor with my choices here. I've got hurt more than I was expecting, but I've also not gotten enough hits in, so I've not even earned the ability to use an item to yeah, heal myself. to it, get the AP to use a potion. So it brings in some kind of Bloodborne-like things where now it's like, well, you know you're low on health, but your only option here is to either hope that your uh, teammate already has enough of a bar to be able to use the active time battle, which I also love that they brought all the terminology back in and even yeah, though they changed the, the way it works. Bar. Um, but I love it. So you either have to rely, like in the beginning, you have to either rely that Barrett's already got one that, so that he can heal you, or if you realize that neither of you do, you suddenly have to do the Bloodborne thing of, I've got to be aggressive, but careful so that I can gain 
so I can hit, 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 not take any hits, back up, and then now I have my ability to either heal myself yeah. or do a big move. I like that you can't just willy-nilly be like, well, I'm going to throw fire. Did and you, now, MP bars are interesting, but I think it's much more interesting when every single thing you do has to be earned and earned and earned. Did you uh, Did you die at all? Uh, I, well, what do you mean? Did you get knocked down or knocked out or whatever? Okay, yeah. Cloud got knocked out because what I immediately – well, I keep saying immediately. What I realized when playing the game – and maybe it's because I recently replayed Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah. I was being really aggressive with Cloud, and that was really dumb of me. And I didn't have problems. I didn't down at all until the boss fight. But the boss fight's got a lot of AoE, and I've also been playing Fable. And because Fable's got, like, there's trolls when you go through, like, they hit. If you time your dodge just right, you avoid the rocks. They spit up. It's yeah. an area of effect that throws down rocks. Uh, you can avoid it. And so I, since I had literally come off playing Fable into playing that, I was being really aggressive and thought I had enough room to dodge back. Did not. Yeah. Kept getting hit with the I LE. I kept getting hit by that too. So I, I had to I, use I all of my got... Phoenix Downs and then I had to actually finish the boss fight because I ran out of Phoenix Downs uh, as Barrett only. I never I never got downed, but I did use a lot of potions. Yeah. And I also... A lot. I used less potions than I thought. I saw people making jokes of like you start with twenty seven and you end up with three. I didn't use that many. I used I probably pro- I, have. I probably used eight potions throughout the whole thing, but all three Phoenix Downs. Um, it wasn't like once I got to Barrett and I kind of was like, I really need to pay more attention because this game is more tactical and there's more involved. And I started being like, well, naturally because t- because Barrett's got range, yeah. you almost are naturally a little bit more tactical because of that so i was able to beat it with no problems uh really i mean i didn't even i never downed as barrett so yeah it was interesting um but now about breaking off into the other thing um and some other stuff i guess essentially i think they've done a really great job with gameplay here and translating final fantasy 7 into a very different camera angle and all this stuff and making it work and look like it's weird that it looks like what you remembered when it's clearly not that's the craziest thing i think to me and maybe it's because there's been enough Final Fantasy 7 media throughout the years that they've been able to forge as this is somewhat close to what you expect. So now it's like nostalgia of well, like, like Advent, Children, Advent really. Children makes you think of Final Fantasy 7. So you have a you have a chain going back and you're like, oh, this is how I remembered it. it it's funny. But through the scope of these other things. It's funny because when I was playing through Final Fantasy 7 on the Switch like two or three or three or four months ago, it's been longer than that, five or six months ago, um, I remember thinking like, oh man, this game's uglier than I remember. Like, way uglier. And then when I got into the battle system, I'm like, okay, I forgot the chibi system, or the chibi thing was done in the battle system. Now you're full size. And I was like, D- I'm even uglier. Yeah. Like, man. Like, y- it really does. Because I- I'm pretty sure Crisis Core coming out combined with Advent Children is like, and then uh, Kingdom Hearts with all the Final Fantasy characters and that. It's like, I-, I, these characters look like this, and they don't. Yeah. And I think that's, a- and that's what I mean, too. And it- all the character models, like, they look how I envision them to look. That's what I mean. Is that's the ro- They all have rose-tinted glasses already on them. Yes. That's what it is. A good remake or a good remaster or whatever. Really a remake. A good remake should always make you feel. That's what I love about Crash Bandicoot. When you're playing the Crash Bandicoot remakes, it's like, this is exactly how I felt like the game looked. If you haven't played them in a while, but if you play them side by side, you're like, oh. It was kind of like playing Resident Evil 2 for the first time in a long time. It was just like, or the remake. It was like, oh, I can go through a door without the stupid door animation happening. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, um, going to your other points, uh, I do agree. And I, 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 
I didn't expect them with the demo, to be fair, because I knew that this was going to be the demo. They pretty much have said that over and over again. Like, it's the part of the game they keep showing yeah. because there's not really any spoilers. No. Well, no well, uh, and what you're, what you're talking about, though, I, I envision there to be more to do in this area. with. The- oh, I get what you mean. Yeah. But that'll, I'll get to that in a second, too. Uh, this is exactly the area I expected it to be in. And because of the fact that they're trying to stay somewhat true to the game, I don't know how you pull off the game I, while it would have been great for maybe just for demo purposes to somehow expand on it, it'd be weird because it'd be a lot of work for nothing. Well, um, I'm talking about I expected that that's part of this expanded uh, Mid- yeah, Midgar that, stuff was part of the the, the Maker Reactors or Mako. Yeah, yeah, well, again, but this is the very beginning of the game, very opening, and there's a lot of stuff. That game starts off running. So yeah. it's it's really hard. I guess I should say that I'm not surprised because it's really hard to take something like that in terms of that particular section where there, the whole thing is you immediately come into it of, hey, we have very little time to do this. The stakes are high right now. That The game opens in such a different way, like Kingdom Hearts, right? You could expand the opening of Kingdom Hearts 1 if you decided to remake it as much as you wanted because it's yeah. already open and vague and you could really you could guess the island's massive or something yeah and you could and you could create a bunch of exploration right that's actually not a bad idea yeah but what would how could you really do that in something where it's all supposed to be driving hey we got to get here now you got to do this now well what's crazy so i guess what i should say is i always i always envision when they talked about this for the opening to stay essentially the, the exact same because of the stuff coming See, into I, it and then I you never expand that. past that so for me i feel like the demo showed me what I really needed to know, which is how does the game play? Yeah. And that was really the most important thing that I think the demo needed for everybody. I do think that a demo that would have been able to address some of what you were talking about would have been nice, but it would have existed within a part of the game where it had been a little almost spoilery. So I think they were trying to avoid that. Uh, but to their credit, while the demo did not make, did not show where they're expanding on things necessarily, I think that the trailers have done a lot to tease. That's not how that was in the original. That's not how that was in the original. Wait a minute. They're doing some changes and changing when people get introduced to help with the flow of what they're aiming to do and probably help with what the flow of what their entire either two-game or three-game entry is going to be doing. What's your thought and, on Wedge's voice? Oh, man. Badger being Wedge it's weird. just killed me. Uh, I can't. And what's funny is I don't even know that actual guy's name. I just call him Badger. I think you did, too. Uh, Matt something. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, actually, he's fitting. It was just weird to hear his voice in a video game. This game also did something that you just reminded me of uh, that Square Enix is becoming really bad at. What is that? My main complaint on Kingdom Hearts 3. Too much stopping and going. And literally, you hop off the train, you take one step, and it's a cutscene again. I don't remember that. Yeah, but, either, I, but you played it twice now. Yeah, so. you take one step and it was a cutscene, and if it wasn't a cutscene, it was like a weapon prompt or something. I'm like, why even take a step on a tutorial prompt? I, I do think you're right there. I think you take one step yeah, towards the enemies, prompt. and then it's a tutorial prompt. Yeah, Which, well, it wasn't between the enemies. It was it was Jesse and all them up there. there this was both. Or it was the enemies actually. Yeah, yeah it right. was the enemies. Okay, so it happened right after that too, where you go up there and you and you you're walking around, and then all of a sudden, cutscene to talk to them. You get out of that cutscene. Then I think you have to go talk to Jesse so that she could lock the door. I'm like, this is a lot more stopping and going. I hope the, the I doubt the game's gonna have that in it in terms of when it expands out. Yeah, again, intro is the, yeah. you have more to set up. Uh, but I should say, you know, you're talking about where do they go? I feel like there's a lot of places within Midgar and. A lot, of, a lot of it's viewing the game because it, it is hard. To, people don't realize that if you only game, and, and I'm not saying you, but no, I'm no. talking across the board. Somebody the other day, oh, Seth, because Seth has never really played Seven, so yeah. he knows very little of it. In his mind, he always thought, well, I thought Midgar was already huge. I was like, no, dude, Midgar within Final Fantasy Seven is like 
four areas. It's and they're like incredibly five, and they're small. all like five straight lines. Yeah, they're super small, and there's nothing you can do in them. I think one of the big things that's going to happen to this is that uh, this is a confined area for a for a specific goal. You're trying to blow up the reactor, right? I think in the future, moving forward, you're going to add some gameplay time and by exploring and exploring an open area of Midgar and then travel time between places. Now, the challenge there becomes if you're going to blow that up and you're going to say, well, now you've got to go here and you've got to go here and you go here and you're not doing it through a world map, which makes everything super quick. If you're having to do everything moving naturally, it's going to expand the time. That comes with its own problems, potentially. If you do not make sure that while you're expanding the space of where you need to go and the time to travel to these places, if you don't keep the gameplay really fun and engaging, then you you pad the time, but you do nothing to make that time feel worth it. And that's where the game could potentially fall. What if fall? when you we leave Midgar, in the beginning of Part 2, there is no world map. You just hop in Orgalia. <laughs> That would be so ridiculous. It but, would be. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Either way, I think for me, there's a lot of really cool stuff that that did, that, and it showed me that I am really excited for. Yeah, but and I'm not gonna spoil a couple I, things. I, I want to be but... clear. I mean, I want to give you your credit in that. Even though I don't have the same worries as you, I still have the worries of even though I do believe the game is going to be expanded in a lot of ways. It becomes down to whether you thought the. The expanding that they did was necessary. Well, that's that's, that's or the expanding they're doing is only in an effort to pad time. Like, because if you just make Midgar a huge open world, that's cool in some ways, but it's bad in how it's going to affect pacing. Like we talked about with like Spider Man, Spider-Man. where it's like that can be an issue. It's. It, I think people. I think I'm not always clear with this. And there's a there's a general misconception. I don't have a problem with expanding things and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It's expanding. It's it's what I have a problem with expanding. To me, Midgar would be kind of cool expanded, but like you just said, I don't know if it would be or not. Uh, you won't know, and that's the biggest challenge that's, I think well, that's, they have. You won't know until you're playing. That's why my that's where my skepticism comes from. Yeah. And then and then we have the part the that's my big that's my big worry. And then my other big worry is is when we get the other part, and it kind of comes down to like, well, if I'm playing a game, and I know for sure. That there's going to be a sequel. You often start a game or a movie not knowing if this is going to set up for a sequel at the end. Yeah, I know this now. So like now, you I can actually pick a when I'm going to play this around in a better way to set myself up for the sequel. Yeah. Um, and I know what's coming next, which I think is also frustrating because it's like I know what's after this first game. I know what comes next in the story. I'm really curious as what part two will end at because I think part two will be furious to end in a certain part. That's if part two does not finish the whole game. We don't know. And see, that's where it goes into why did part one expand Midgar? And then there's another areas like Niflheim and stuff that could have been expanded more. Yeah. Anyways. No, no I got you. Now, th- before we move off of this, I guess I'd say the, in- the most interesting thing here is that we can't, separate ourselves and view this easily at least from the standpoint of someone who's never played final fantasy if you've never played it and all you've heard is this accolades about it honestly this game and the way it's being broken up it's probably absolutely no issue to it's, you it's probably honestly the best way to explore it's and play only this. it's only for those that have played final fantasy 7 and have an advent children or watched in. advent children played crisis core knows the story of dirge of cerebrus and before crisis it's like, what are they going to expand furthermore to tell me about the story that I don't either A, already know, or B, care about? Because yeah. it's, it's not relevant. But Well, we're going to finish this off with the going back to Sturge of Cerberus, as you just mentioned. Yes. So while talking Final Fantasy VII, Square Enix have filed a trademark for Dirge of Cerberus, which points back to the 2000 release, 2006 release of the same name, um, which if you've never played it or never seen it, 
I think we've talked no. about on the show before. It's a third-person shooter with uh, light RPG elements, and it features Vince Valentine, which is, of course, a character that you will be introduced to at some point in time throughout this Final Fantasy VII remake thing. Um, well, that's what I was going to say. Part two might end up. Yeah. But, but that would be like part three. <laughs> we'll see if there's a third part or not. Uh, the filing comes with a new logo hinting that it may not simply be a renewal of the trademark. Uh, so the original game had a stylized logo that was kind of ridiculous looking like it fit but it's like really stylized yeah this is a very simple very clean edgy. dirge of cerberus in a line in a in, in the final fantasy font um so there's a lot to going on here i one of the things i think might be happening is that square enix they've been talking about remaking final fantasy 7 for a long time so that's not surprising but what i think they may be doing is that they're seeing how much success capcom is having with resident evil remakes and they're going you know what we're already ma- remaking seven. Then why not do Crisis Core first? Make this trash ass Dirge of Cerberus remake. No. So there's two things. It could either be a remaster of Dirge of Cerberus to try and get it back out to a new audience, which seems unlikely. Didn't you just say that it was not canon last week? From what I'm understanding, the rest of the extended universe is not supposed to be canon. But if they're remaking it, you can recanonize it, right? But if it's remastering, it would be weird because if you're trying to build a new canon. Why would you re- why would you release a remaster? So but either way, uh, we're going to see what ends up happening here. I really do think that this is them trying to follow Capcom's footprints uh, and try their hand at using one of their most popular sub franchises because Final Fantasy VII became a sub franchise of uh, Final Fantasy. It's what we were talking so, about. So, like to play the franchise of Final Fantasy VII, it's almost as much time consuming as play the entire f- series of Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, which is its own series. So it's it's interesting. But uh, either way, uh, I think where I'm at right now is we've spent a lot, a lot of time talking about Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I don't really, think we're going to revisit this talk ever again. Uh, so. Where I want to go instead is I want to go back up to the Ikumi Nakamura. What is your favorite remake? Oh, no. Let's do something fun. You want to do that one? Yeah. What is your favorite remake of all time? I feel like remakes, my, my only, and I mean, I don't mind doing that, but the reason I don't immediately gra- gravitate to that is that I don't feel like there's been a lot of remakes. What is your favorite, slash rem- favorite remake slash remaster? Okay. That's what we'll do. Because I feel like that'll have more, that'll have more uh, community involvement than Yumi. Fair. There. Okay. What is your favorite? This is for community's take for episode one fifty four. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite remake and or remaster? And it could be any, across any time. It doesn't have to be new. It could be a, a remake of a PS one game on PS two or something. I don't know. Yeah. If it exists out there and it's going to classify as a remake or remaster, let me know. I already got my answer for this. Well, good. Don't say it yet. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be part of the community next week. <laughs> so we'll do. Uh, anyway, if you uh, would like to, of course, watch us. If you were if you found us through listening, you can watch us over on YouTube where we have videos of the podcast. Uh, and of course, if you have any thoughts or opinions on the things we're talking about, feel free to pop them down in the comments below. We love seeing them. If you want to listen to us, of course, you can do so on podcast services. And if you're listening through something like iTunes or another service that has the ability to uh, review, offering a review is great. It helps us know what you like about the show and what you don't and of course it helps other people uh see whether or not the show would be interesting to them based off of your words uh lastly you can find us on discord of course uh, all of our social media stuff you can find us on discord and join our moment to moment day-to-day talks with a bunch of members of the community you can find us on twitter at triangle sqrd you can find us in a facebook group which is called triangle square to playstation podcast uh, and that's where we post the community's take question to remind everybody to get their input in and and that's where of course we get the input Uh, and then lastly if you'd like to support the show you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and uh, give us 
some support, which we love regardless of. You can head over to Patreon whether you want to give us any kind of money per month. Anyway, there's it's another avenue to follow us if you don't want to be part of Twitter or Facebook. That's essentially the best yeah. way to say it. And I know as some as the person who primarily runs the Patreon, I don't think Saul's ever actually been on it. Um, Once or twice. I have slipped up on actually posting all the episodes. So I'm going to start treating that again like a, like a social page. That's one of the things I really know I need to do. Start posting every episode on there, community's take on there and everything. So... We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you next week. And of course, throw the show out by mentioning all of our lovely supporters. Thank you all. Thanks to our patrons, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. I did not update this like I said I would. My name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobo, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Solitary Red, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Dylan Kirby, and San Coffin. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash Thanks.